New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Poetry is a deep collaboration of language, music, psyche, and soul. A poet reveals to us the beauty, the sorrow, and the humor of the world. It guides us in being ever curious and observant, helping us to notice even the smallest details of life, a ripening peach or the twisting of a damp tissue in our hands, can transport us with wonder and joy. Poetry takes us on a treasure hunt for the ineffable emotions that toss us like flotsam and jetsam on the relentless pounding waves on the seas of life. It is the sacred text of life. Joining us today is master poet and word weaver Margaret Barclay who will lead us in awakening our own creative energies in divine imagination. Margaret Barclay is a teacher and a published award-winning poet. Her roots go back several generations to the open spaces and the beauty of Wyoming, and her poetry is filled with images that reflect her love of nature. She has a master's degree in psychology and has taught in the Organization Development Master's Program at Sonoma State University. She also leads women's retreats in the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. She's the author of a book of poetry, Ribs. Join us for the next hour as we explore the power of poetry with our guest, Margaret Barclay. I'm speaking with Margaret in her home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Margaret, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just thrilled to be with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to be with you too, Margaret. It's been a while. We've been friends for a long time, and I'm so delighted that you have put together this book of poetry and first of all, I'd love for you to read the opening poem in the book, just to give our listeners a flavor of, of your poetry. And it is also the title of the book, Ribs. So if you could read that for us and give us a flavor. Sure. And as with many of my poems, this was an actual occurrence so in some ways, writing this poem, like many others, is like being a journalist, like reporting the feelings and the awe and the 
shock of this event. So I'll read it to you now. Ribs. Flying down the road to town, my mind already there, I slow suddenly, shocked into the present by a perfect set of ribs, jutting up in the middle of my lane, gleaming wet and red in the morning sun, with the tan fur of the body splayed out flat beneath. A young deer must have been hit in the night, already picked by vultures, this red cage so exposed I can't turn away, and in that sunlit vision of small bones, I feel my own ribs picked clean, my own heart beating inside its cage as wet and red as this, bones arrayed as fingers of two skeletal hands cupped to hold precious the center muscle so loyal to me driving blood a thousand miles through my body. In one drive-by moment, I am the same as any bony mammal, the same as you, fragile and moist, flesh and blood and breath, held by bone, held by grace we cannot see, held by time given till bone exposed again. Mm. What a wonderful pause. Uh, we drive by so fast and we see these animals that have been hit by a car by the roadside or on the road. And, and you just help us to really pause and make that connection, deep, deep connection to our relationship to all of life, so to speak. Uh, right. <laughs> And we all have ribs. So many creatures have ribs. And it became the title for the book because ribs seemed like such a symbol of holding the heart of everything. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I'm wondering if you can go back, Margaret, to your first encounter with um, a, a any poet that first registered on your heart when poetry became visible to you as something that was important? That's a really good question. I didn't grow up loving poetry, and I always had a hard time relating to the really intellectual poets. I went to a high school in Wyoming, and we were not terribly cultured, and we didn't read the classics. And um, so I didn't have a big connection with it. And then sometime in my 20s or 30s, I was really exploring Middle Eastern mysticism and came across Rumi and Hafiz, the translations. And there were some other poets. Mary Oliver was one that grabbed me back then. Wild Geese kind of did me in that poem of hers. Um, but... Rumi and Hafiz spoke to something deeper than just word crafting, which is what a lot of poetry seemed to me to be, where you had to have struggle to figure it out. And Rumi and Hafiz and the other mystical poets spoke right to the heart. So that's kind of where it opened for me. I have the same 
experience, so to speak. I mean, in school, we would dissect a poem and, (laughs) you know, talk about the meter and talk about this and that and the other. It was all so intellectual. And uh, it wasn't until I think I heard Robert Bly, the Uh poet, do a live session uh, in San Francisco. And I really recall personally how... um, I heard the poem, and I turned around, and there were maybe 300 people there. And I thought, oh, you know, they all understand this poem, but I don't get it. <laughs> and and then he read it again. He read it twice. And when he read it again, it's like it turned off my intellect, and it spoke to my heart. Is that how we should be listening to poetry? I don't know how we... I'm not an expert on this. I don't know how we should be listening. I know how I listen. And for me, if it feels cerebral and I can't figure it out, I tend to sort of tune out. And when a poem grabs me, in my heart and my being and and shift something internally i may still not understand it completely but i know i've been touched and if i haven't been touched i'm i'm not very engaged i'm in a group with other very fine poets and so we have discussions about this a lot how should one listen to poetry it's an interesting question Right. I agree. I I get those daily poems from another friend who sends out a daily poem. Right. And I'll I'll look it over, you know, just like start to read it and and I do the same thing as you do, Margaret. I would I would read the first few lines and if it if it's kind of engaging my I need to figure this out mind. Um <laughs> I I don't go further. <laughs> right. But if it gives me some image right away that like kind of breaks me open or 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 leads me to be curious or or puts wonder in front of me then I'll I'll really read it and and mm-hmm. then sometimes I'll pass it along to my friends and mm-hmm. uh, it it just excites me. It right. becomes exciting. I've been stretching myself a little the last few years because I've wanted to be more educated to try to find other poets that I respond to in that way and stretching a bit into ones that I don't understand at first. And it's a good exploration to do that. But the bottom line is, like you say, I need to find wonder in it. It's uh, Yeah, me, me too, me too. So... Um, in your um, creating poems, where does metaphor come in, and and how can we find metaphor if we're 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 exploring our own writing? Uh, where do you how do you how do you reach for a metaphor? Honestly, most of the metaphors that show up on my in my poems sort of just come to me it's an image 
or a feeling and and I'll try to feel into like what does this feel like to me you know um where does it touch me and sometimes I have to go back and look for a better metaphor but not often um a lot of my poems just kind of come all of a piece so again I'm learning more about the mechanics of poetry writing which is is good for me and um, there are methodologies to try on different images. Like if you want to uh, speak about earth, what are all, list a whole bunch of words that make you think of earth. How does earth make you feel? And just jot down a whole bunch of stuff and see what grabs you. So I've been working with that a little bit too. But most of the metaphors in my poems have just sort of floated into my head. I don't know how else to describe it. It, it seems like when you're talking about it, these images floating in, they come from a feeling space. You, you mentioned that you, you feel into it, and, and mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's kind of embodied in some way, would you say? Yeah, I was, when I was thinking about meaningful quotes for today, uh, there's a quote by Joan Baez about all of her good songs, she didn't think of them. They just crawled down her sleeve onto the page. And there's something about that with my writing. Some of the poems, literally a phrase came into my head after having an experience or an emotion, and it just won't leave me alone until I write it down. And then the poem follows from that. And one of the poems in the book, Mrs. Goodman, when Mrs. Goodman said yes, um, the entire poem came all at once. I have no idea where that came from. We'll have to have you read that one then. I just want to remind our listeners I'm here with Margaret Barkley, poet and the author of a book of poetry, Ribs. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Here with poet Margaret Barkley. She's the author of her book of poetry, Ribs. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, margaretbarkley.com. Barkley is spelled B-A-R-K-L-E-Y, margaretbarkley.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Margaret, you mentioned a specific poem that just sort of crawled down your sleeve. Um, I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Sure. It's called, When Mrs. Goodman Said Yes. 
When Mrs. Goodman said yes and opened herself to him, when he came in the door after work and set down his lunchbox, when he wanted her, not with wooden groping, but saying, Oh, my Sadie, my Sadie, and she felt his thick hand behind her waist pulling her to him. When Mrs. Goodman said yes and her sensible shoes, her dress, and baking apron were heaped on the floor by the bed, his overalls flung. When puffs of flour floated in the shaft of sunset light through the bedroom window and she breathed in his smell of oil and man, she thought to herself, now supper can just wait. <laughs> oh, what a lovely, lovely, lovely image of a loving couple. All the pieces of that, uh, her apron, his overalls just flung on the floor, it just in the sunlight and the flower and all of that, it just like puts us right there. Uh, very, very vividly. So I, I love that. I want to say one more thing about that one, if you don't mind. Um, Please. I don't know who Miss, where the name Mrs. Goodman came from, but I have a feeling she was an archetype from my Wyoming childhood of women that were, you know, solid, stalwart, sturdy women baking in the kitchen. And so it's like she crawled down my sleeve from my my um, ancestors somehow into that poem. And um, I was fond of her immediately. It's one of my more whimsical ones in the book. The wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. There are other poems that really popped out for me in your book. I mean, so many. Um, and I'd love for you to share another one uh, called Jumpyard dog and tell us about the origins of this particular poem and how it came sure to uh this one was actually written during george w bush's administration and i don't remember exactly what was going on but it was another complex time in our politics and i was feeling a kind of despair and this wasn't at all what i sat down to write i was thinking i was going to be writing about my despair and this is what came out. Junkyard Dog. Let's say, for the sake of discussion, that before you were born, you were made of light or something like it. Let's say that you were not anything at all like this oddly shaped living thing, no offense, that you are now, but that something of you existed. Maybe you were just more see-through or more vast or fluffier but there you were, then in one excited wet moment the body you know began, grew for nine months, and landed here. It was the luck of the draw exactly where, probably not onto towels on a dirt floor, for example. My guess is that you arrived in a well-lit sterile room, probably naked for just a second, and then you began collecting things because that's what we do. And now here you are, here we are together in these bodies, living in a culture filled with things, in a country where the people in charge are like dumb, drooling junkyard dogs protecting their piles of metal and drums of oil, 
even sending some of us to faraway places to do their bullying for them. We don't know how to be with this, but do the best we can, collecting things, food, clothes and houses, electronic devices and to-do lists, earning money to collect more things, and trying to have a good time in the process. Meanwhile, we start to feel a wee bit protective, like junkyard dogs ourselves even, guarding the piles of stuff that we've gathered, taking things a little too personally sometimes, and lunging at the fence we've built around all of it. It's all so much that sometimes we have to hire insurance people and attorneys to help. But here's the great thing. In the middle of all of this collecting and protecting, we seem to have been granted most of the time the ability to learn and to feel and to notice what was here all along, like sunsets, wild-ass fields of orange poppies, and the fact that having a body is actually quite wonderful, especially when we're rubbing them around on each other or dancing. We discover that loving someone else feels better than anything and that the important stuff can't be collected at all. Somewhere along the way, there is that tin man moment when you know you have a heart because it's breaking and you realize that courage is nothing like a slavering fanged dog. Courage is being willing to let go, open the damn gate and share the goods. If you're lucky, by the time you're old, you've found humility, which doesn't mean that you're unimportant. It means that you're everything because we're all made out of the same stuff, some kind of light, something vast and fluffy, covered in skin. The, the images, the lunging at the fence we built around all of it, um, the uh, other part where uh, we discover that loving someone else feels better than anything, that the important stuff can't be collected at all. Uh, these are such great images of the Tin Man. Uh, the, it, you found uh, uh, the Tin Man moment when you know you have a heart. Uh, it just, it's just marvelous. Margaret just brings us back into our bodies and 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 has allows us that moment of just. <sighs> letting go of all that we are protecting, you know, and what are we protecting? So any any comments about that poem and how others receive it? It's been responded to strongly for a long time. It was actually performed by a local theater groups called Off the Page Readers Theater, and they performed it in one of their little performances. And so it's had a life of its own in some ways. Um, the local poet that you spoke of posted it, and it made its way around the world and came back to me somehow. So it's got a lot of life to it, this one. And it really speaks to the closest I can come to describing my spiritual belief in how I hold that, which is hard to find words for. And this poem kind of got to it for me in a lot of ways, that we really are made out of all the same stuff, 
something fluffy covered in skin. <laughs> I love it, something fluffy covered. And, and does remind us of all of our interconnection, which takes us then out of that idea of otherness mm -hmm. that, that then starts the whole process of, of racism and, and bullying and, and all of those things uh, right. that it just cascades into our lives. Right, right. What would you what would you say uh, or what advice would you give us uh, if if we would like to begin a process even um, writing one poem <laughs> you know trying it out uh, tell us uh, what's what's your advice how we read poems when we think they're great and we think we can't do it so what do you say? that's a great question um, I've been leading a writing group. It was in my home until COVID, and now we're on Zoom. But it's been going with some of the same folks since 1999. And sometimes people, including my husband, when I met him, want to just come and listen. They say, oh, I'm not a writer. I'll just listen. And then before you know it, they're taking a stab at it of just getting some things down on paper. And some of the best writing happens when we do free writes together and we just write for 10 or 15 minutes and people just write down something that has meaning. And one thing I've noticed is that people always doubt their own writing. They'll say, oh, this isn't very good. We call them disclaimers and I have a whole file of them that people have said, I jot them down because they're so funny in a way because everybody does it. And uh, we compare ourselves to other people. So my biggest advice is to just start and try not to be hard on yourself about what comes out because the truth is someone else will be touched by it if you are. If it has meaning to you, someone else will be touched by it. Beautiful, beautiful. That's great. I, I know that poetry is often used in moments of rites of passage, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when someone has died or when somebody often when somebody is getting married they they use a poem right. in their marriage uh, vows um, so what can you say about that margaret um well poetry speaks from a different place than the intellect and in ceremonial moments or rites of passage we're trying to access a voice that comes from inside from an inner place and not our minds so much and it's an honoring to speak it in a language that comes from a deep well from your soul from your heart during important moments like that people aren't looking for a lecture they're looking to be touched so I think that's why poetry is a voice at that time that people respond to I feel it's true in these times that are so challenging and some of the issues that we're looking at are so large let's say climate change right. or the, the environment or or uh the uh, polarization of politics right now uh, in it, it's just a difficult time and if we just stay out in that field uh, it can get 
depressing and we can go into despair. And that's where I think poetry just brings us back to this moment, to, to the moment of even uh, the small things that we can pause and notice. So maybe we can talk about that in just one moment. I do want to remind our listeners that I'm here with master poet Margaret Barclay, and she's the author of a book of poems called Ribs, and her website is margaretbarkley.com, and she spells her last name B-A-R-K-L-E-Y, margaretbarkley.com. Or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Here with Margaret Barclay, master poet and author of a book of poetry, Ribs. And Margaret, um, one of the things that, that we were talking about is how poetry can take us out of that landscape that is so huge with all of its challenges and that leads us to want to pull the covers up over our heads. One of the things that poetry often does is pull us back and help us notice something right in front of us, something maybe even small. Or, and I'd love for you to share one of your poems that really does that for me, and it's called The Last Peach. And if you can share that with us. Sure, I'd be happy to. And there is something about the wonder in the very small moments of our lives, which adds up to be the meaning in our lives. But you're right, we can really get caught up in the big worries if we don't pay attention to those small moments. The last peach. As I cut it into my cereal, holding its round velvet weight in my hand, I know this could be the last peach I taste this season. A few bruises to cut out, the pit loose and cracked open, ready to grow. I take a bite right off the knife and taste explodes in my wet mouth. The last time we make love, we don't know it's the last till later. The last peach, the last time, my last day in this body could be today. I can pretend I will always have peaches. My lover will never stop wanting me. This life will go on day after day, whether I notice it or not. But it is the element of surprise, the remembering that the surprise will come, that keeps me sharp in my loving, so that I taste this peach, this day, as if it were my last, feeling joy and the taste of peaches, and the ache of change and loss all at once. That feels really Buddhist to me in some way, Margaret. <laughs> yeah, you you're know, right. it just, you know, 
coming into the present and, and just say, we don't know the future. It's only right now that's available to us. And uh, it, it really reminds us of savoring and tasting all of life. That, like that, that Zen koan of the person being chased by the tiger and they're hanging off a cliff <laughs> and they grab that branch and there's a single strawberry that's there. That's right. And what do they do? What, what, what the koan is, what do you do? Do you eat the, the strawberry or not? You know, the, the last taste, as if it were my last taste, feeling joy in the taste of peaches and the ache of change and loss all at once. Beautifully, beautifully said, beautifully said. Which, which takes me to another poem that I have read to my circle of, of women, and I have, have just uh, really shared this one because it, it touched me so deeply. And it, it, it's kind of on this, a little bit on this same theme, and it's a feeling him close. Mm. I would love for you to share that poem. It's one of my favorites in the book. Just absolutely mm. um, uh, gobsmacked me. <laughs> it was so beautiful. So um, if you could help, uh, read that and share that with us. Sure. Feeling him close. Death slouched outside my window last night, leaning against the wall, acting as if he had all the time in the world. All night I felt him there as I floated at the top layer of sleep with my hand on my beloved's broad chest. I wasn't afraid that he was coming for us. I knew that he just wanted me to feel him close. Some of the people he visits, he walks right in and sits at their supper table so they can smell his breath real close up. Last night, death loitered by my house, but he didn't come in, and I was glad he wouldn't be getting in bed with us just yet. Somehow I knew that much. My friend thought she knew that too, and then one day he showed up in a scan of her body all of a sudden. Now she doesn't seem to mind that he drapes himself on her sofa or that he likes to stroke her hair. She made friends with him right away, and though they are an odd couple, her looking so healthy and all, we are getting used to their relationship. She is actually glowing, and the more he hangs around, the more we can accept his good points, like one of those handsome bad boys with a heart of gold the ones that take you in a fast car to places you never thought you could go. He might decide he wants to take her away, which would break our hearts. But she smiles and tells us that it's only a matter of time. He will take us all. You know, as you, oh, <laughs> you know, as, as you read that, Margaret, um, I got this image of you in Wyoming. Somehow your Wyoming ancestry <laughs> came out in that poem in some way. I, I'm not sure why that image came to me. Do you, huh. do you have a clue? No. Um, 
the poem was actually written about a friend here who actually was diagnosed. And it's pretty accurate. She was immediately accepting of the fact that she was probably going to die. And we were all horrified. And to sort of um, adjust our thinking and our way of holding it along with her, that death is a part of life and that she was hanging around with him being just fine with it. And I'm not sure why I made death male, by the way, but that's just how it came out. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it is. there's something so grounded in it that mm-hmm. it's, you know, okay, he's, he's slouched right outside <laughs> the house, and, and then he's like this bad boy with a heart of gold, and it makes it easier, doesn't it, to to accept this inevitability of life and, and its cycles. And, and it kind of goes along with the other poem that, that you read about impermanence and how our, it's all connected. It's all, mm-hmm. it, it just keeps going on. And, and to savor the peach, <laughs> to, the, to, and, and I, I just see you like, like you're slicing it, and then that that way that okay, well, you just slip a piece of the peach in your mouth off the knife's edge, you know, it's just like, yeah, right, right, and it brings us it into something very, very visceral, mm-hmm. and and life is being visceral or or ribs holding in the heart that's pumping a thousand miles in our body you know these right. these images uh, margaret just uh, they they stick to us hmm. in some Thank way you. they stick they become very tangible to our senses so to speak and I guess that's what what I love about your poetry is that it does appeal to our senses uh, is that something that you strive for, or does it come to you? I think that's just the voice that I hear has to come through an embodied presence with it. All of the senses inform that taste and smell and hearing and vision and all of those images, sensory images, are what comes into me as as language, I think. And... I don't respond to poetry unless it feels embodied to me. So I know I've written a poem that I'm happy with. If it lands in me, either makes me cry or swoon or shudder or something embodied, then I know I've, I've done a good job giving the poem what it wanted because the poems have a mind of their own, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's another poem that I, I just mentioned briefly a moment ago called Impermanence. And there's an image in that at the end of that poem that really stuck with me. And can you share that poem uh, for us about losses that we will all have as part of our life? Sure. And this one was written. I was actually sitting in a crowd of people listening to a spiritual teacher talk and this poem started to come and so I had the program of the the 
the event and I was scrawling words around the margins of it, you know, scribbling. <laughs> anyway, so this is another poem of reporting. It's called Impermanence. The crowd sits in rows of folding chairs, attentive and earnest while the spiritual teacher speaks modestly about the essential nature of reality, about the part of us which has always been here and doesn't die, about the illusion of form. And I look around at everyone listening and have a sudden urge to run my fingers through each person's hair, to stroke the soft cheeks turned toward the stage to love them all in these lumpy human forms right now. Maybe my religion is a love affair with illusion, so be it. Maybe if I sacrifice this life in the only fire there is, then I can love it even more. We all know of impermanence, that the price of admission here is that we will lose it all. How can we bear both the beauty and the loss? I must have chosen once naively to bear it. I must have known somehow that it would be worth it to feel the sacrifice that loving always is. That if I could let my heart break and then leave it that way, ecstasy and grief, which were really never separate, would find each other again. I must have been hungry for the exquisite simplicity of form, fingers through hair, your eyes meeting mine, the treasure of a day, just one more day here under blue sky. I must have known that in the end, my losses would be strung one after another, like Christmas lights leading me home. There was that image there at the end, like Christmas lights leading me home. It just like, oh, right, or... uh the, the love affair with illusion, the both beauty and loss are together, where whereas uh, ecstasy and grief were never really, really never separate, would find each other again, ecstasy and grief. And that is the paradox that poetry can show us, uh, that these things live together, they're not separate. Um, so um, I want to remind again our listeners that I'm here with poet Margaret Barclay, and she is the author of a book of poetry called Ribs, R-I-B-S, Ribs. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with poet Margaret Barclay, and that's what we're talking about, about poetry. And we were just talking about a poem that really suggested that beauty and loss find each other, that they're partners, the paradox of that. And do you have more to say on that, Margaret? Yeah, just that I think that's why the world needs poetry and other arts, because it's a way for us to help us hold the paradox of how much suffering there is and and how big our issues are. And we have suffering large and small in the world. And then there's the gorgeousness and the beauty in every moment and in the planet and in our relationships and In order to hold both, we need a language that's bigger than regular discourse. We need need poetry and we need art for that. It's what calls me to it, I think, is to find language for what seems like impossible paradoxes. I'm I'm thinking of how some people would say, oh, poetry is frivolous. you know, it's not important. It's uh, uh, so mm-hmm. what, you know, poetry, because, you know, we need to be politically active. We need to get out on the streets. And we need all mm-hmm. of that. We need all of that. But we need something else. And those people who would deny that something else, I think, are, are bereft of just what you said, uh, of the beauty that's available. I agree. And to be fair, I think a lot of poetry that people are exposed to doesn't touch them. They can't figure it out, like we were talking about earlier. Um, I think people need poetry that's accessible in a way where they can find themselves in it. People who don't think they like poetry, if they find poems that touch them, change their mind, in my humble opinion. I think that poetry can really tap into the joy amid the Mm -hmm. suffering. It allows us to, to feel joy even as we feel the suffering and compassion. And it can, I, I would say, it breaks us open enough to let the light mm-hmm. in. Exactly. That's exactly right. That was beautiful. Well, thank you. I feel that there is, um, you know, I, I can't remember what the name of that Japanese art is where the vase is more valuable yes. as it's broken and 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 repaired with all this gold mm-hmm. gold vein vase and I, I see you nodding yes. your head is there it makes me think of Leonard Cohen's line about the cracks is where we the light comes in you know all of us are broken in some way or another and to acknowledge the light that that allows into our life when we face our brokenness is another way that another way that poetry can be a voice to help us see that I think I'm reminded of the work of uh, Michael Mead, uh, who is a mythologist and storyteller, and and he works a lot with young men who are who are troubled. He's done just marvelous work in that way, and 
He's always talking about not transcending upward into spirit, but going down into mm-hmm. soul. He's, it's, it's a theme of his, of going down, down into soul. And that's where I think your poetry really, really takes us. It takes us down into soul rather than up in our head and our intellect and or even spiritual ascension. Uh, it takes us down to to the earth that and the the stars that we are yes. made of. We're made of star star stuff, yeah. and that's that's very earthy, yeah. So I'm I'm wondering. Uh, there's another poem that I I want you to share that I just delighted <laughs> okay. in. I just it, it was it was a poem that 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 was is poetry can be truth telling in a way that can tell the truth better than than any prose, so to speak. So uh, this one is called Life Game. And if you could share that with uh, us, I'd love it. Sure. Life game. Start with a full toolbox, a skin bag, arms, legs, an assortment of organs. Like a board game, most players are given a full set. Then we roll the dice, move around the board, repeating our turns for as many years as the game gives us surrendering game pieces as we go. Smaller ones go first, like wisdom teeth or flexibility first thing in the morning. And eventually the bigger pieces go too. Some players pull the Alzheimer's card and lose their minds first, some an arm or a kidney, and some are still playing after the paralysis card leaves them only blinking eyes to communicate. And the instructions inside the box lid are not complete. They don't tell us why we are playing or what it takes to win. <laughs> that <laughs> Oh, my. Tell us about that poem. How did that poem come to you, Margaret? I, it just is marvelous. It just uh, marvelous. I love that you love that poem. It was one that sort of came it's not a poem that gives us answers it's a poem that leaves us with the big question right and I didn't even consider it a very good poem at first it was just sort of me trying to get down you know how crazy this all feels that here we are you know trying to do this life the best way we can and aging is a part of that the mystery that we really don't know how it's going to go for us you know and the older we get, we think more about what are we going to lose, you know? So it um, it was a poem for me to try to explore that, and I'm glad that it works as a poem. And Oh, it definitely it le- does, it leaves yeah. Us with the question, we don't really know. Right, right. I love it. Uh, the 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 um, the uh, what the instructions inside. The box lid are not complete. <laughs> right. It's like we. It's like okay. it's like we got the game at a thrift store or something, right? And they didn't give us all the instructions. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. Exactly. Exactly. Or oh, I love the idea, Margaret, when you, when you were talking about the poem that came to you when you were 
listening to a spiritual teacher <laughs> and suddenly you're you're writing in the margins and you're feeling like you want to touch the hair of the people around you and you just let your mind you let your mind or let your heart kind of lead you into you don't resist it in other words you're not resisting what is attracting your attention and it seems like that's part of the key to writing poetry. What is coming to me out of the corner of my exactly. eye? And, yeah, we all observe things and feel things. And life is quirky and weird. And I think not resisting what shows up is a big part of, of any kind of expression. And maybe, if anything, that's that's one of the gifts that I have is to not argue too much with it. Uh, you know, there's a voice that can say, oh, I don't really want to write about that, but it will bug me until I do, generally speaking. And and many um, uh, writers of fiction will talk about how their characters then <laughs> take yeah. over, and and they they have no... Now say so and where those characters are going to go. And that's somehow the best fiction then, I right. believe. Yeah. And, and paying attention. I I love it when especially when you pay attention to the smaller or you take an image like junkyard dogs. I mean, what an image. Like it it's so powerful and visceral, and you just see these growling dogs that are chained up in some junkyard. Right, right. It's an image that just uh, kind of grabs the heart and and takes you on a journey. And that journey, I started out by judging others as the junkyard dogs, and as I was writing it, it became all of us, all of us in this culture become that um, archetype if we're not careful in our protectiveness of our things and our space and our making other anyone that isn't us, you know. Um, so it was very humbling to write that poem because that's not where I started. And so what you're saying, too, is that as you wrote that poem, you yourself are transformed. Exactly. It transforms yes. you. So that's the power of poetry. Margaret, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your artistry and your poetry and and encouraging all of us to live in our own imagination and be attracted by whatever is coming to us as an image, to stick with it and not let... not. Not let it go. Just just let it speak to us for as much as it wants right. to speak, to pause. Thank you so thank, much. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me, Justine. I've been speaking with poet Margaret Barkley, and if you want to know more about her work, her book of poetry is called Ribs, and you can find it on her website, uh, margaretbarkley.com. And she spells her last name B-A-R-K-L-E-Y, margaretbarkley.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3744. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.